Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. We had some of the elders just so happy and they're saying it's like we have electricity in our village this is amazing you know and i can actually see my wife's face at night (laughs) hey there solar warriors i'm nico johnson and this is suncast each week i pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, I just have a quick question before we jump in here. Are you like me, a habitual intro skipper? I bet you are. Some of you at least are, and you're used to listening to Suncast and skipping forward. Did you know that I do all of the intros bespoke? Some of the outros are canned, but many of the intros and most of the outros as well are custom made for you. Like, did you know that we have a listener survey that many of you have taken and it's given us so much insight. If you haven't taken it, then you're missing some stuff in the intro and I'd encourage you to listen to them every now and then. But you can go to mysuncast.com forward slash survey. Takes a couple of minutes of your precious time and I'm so grateful if you'd do that. All right, here we go with the show. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors. We are in an impact episode, and I am so honored each time that I get a chance to highlight the work that folks are doing to bring light, electricity, hope, and opportunity to those who are less fortunate. Today's entrepreneur has traveled the world, producing and acting in films, and she's learned what a privilege we have in developed countries to consider that electric light and running water are necessity, not a luxury. So she also has seen firsthand how just introducing the simplest of light can eradicate darkness in many different profound ways and elevate equity, in particular among females, in powerful ways in the community. That's why Nicole Watson founded Iconic Earth Foundation. She's taking light into dark places from India to Kenya and bringing good news to you and me. And she's just getting started. I encourage you, set aside some time as you hear her story and ponder what you also can do with the freedom and luxuries you've been afforded to care for those less fortunate around you. You may not start a foundation or even a movement, but you can be sure that you have the power to change lives. Not convinced? Keep listening, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to a powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, it is my incredible pleasure to bring another conversation to you about the impact that the technology that we all support and serve to bring into the world, how it is impacting lives around the world, notably those that are uh, at the quote bottom of the pyramid, folks that we want to help empower and give energy equity. I've recently had the opportunity to get to know today's guest, Nicole Watson, and I'm thrilled to bring her story to light and have you learn more about Iconic Earth Foundation, the nonprofit that she runs that is bringing light physically uh, as well as metaphysically to families and students throughout underserved communities, predominantly in Africa and India. Nicole, welcome to Suncast. 
Hi, thanks. It's great to be here. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that the work that you are engaged in, it reminds me of a previous episode we did uh, that you and I talked about with Christina Skierka from Power for All, where there's a, there are a lot of organizations who are looking at how to empower folks in, as I mentioned before, underserved communities. Notably, there are you know remote communities, places without any electricity whatsoever in what have sort of historically been called third world countries, but places in Latin America, India, and Africa, namely, that still are looking for ways to bring equity, both from energy and, uh, and learning, to life. You have a very interesting background and story. You've been in film, you've been in nonprofit management, uh, you've traveled the world, and uh, at, and even an, are an ex- Explorers Club member and adventurer. What are some of the things for you that began to surface in your work that brought you to the realization that you were ready, capable, and willing to enter into, into the fray, as it were, bring your network and relationships together to support providing this sort of energy access to underprivileged communities? I have always been really passionate about the environment, uh, environmental conservation, wildlife conservation. My dad is a sailing instructor. He sailed all over the world. He had me learning about ocean protection, pollution going into the ocean. I grew up in a small town in Canada, surrounded by forests. You know, we started learning about the effects of pollution from a young age, even back then, you know, being talked about. And uh, through that, I got into the film industry. I ended up moving over to Australia when I was about 23 and pivoted into management of this international student agency where we were preparing visas for people, semi-skilled workers, and bringing them into Australia. And through that, I ended up working in Bangladesh, India, Malaysia. I was in Southeast Asia, gosh, three, four times a year. Mm -hmm. And I started to see how other countries and communities were living, just how how much access we had and how other people just needed that boost to kind of propel them forward. And and one of the main thing is electricity, energy, these tools that that can move us into the modern world, let's say. So coming back, continued to work at the office, organized people coming into the country, continued to work in film. I, I, I was an actor then. I still do some. I, I'm producing more now. And eventually came back to Canada. I ended up working in Mexico for a year, producing music festivals. Through all this, it was about pulling people together, working internationally, going into a place, identifying kind of a key person to work with, and pulling whatever we were doing together, whether it be bringing in workers, bringing in students, bringing in DJs for a music festival, coordinating with hotels, coordinating with companies. Gosh, I wanted to use these tools to do something more for the planet, come back to conservation, environmental impact in some way. At first I thought, oh, I can maybe produce films and partial proceeds from the films can go to supporting causes. But as I I move forward, move down to California, I started learning more about the impacts of hydraulic fracturing on the communities in Pennsylvania. And I I did that. I was working at a trade show in New York, and I met some people that were affected. Their water had gone bad in their communities, and they invited me up to take a look into Dimmick, Pennsylvania, and take a look at what's happening um, because of fracking and the, the gas industry. 
And with that group out of Pennsylvania, they got me involved in the anti-fracking movement in New York State. So then I began to meet with all the people involved with that, that movement from celebrities to townsfolk to everything. And we were at Albany in the government building there, holding up the bad water and protesting, you know, what goes on when you, when you go and frack all these communities land Yeah, and how renewable energy is the solution to this. Fast forward a year later, I was sitting in a hotel in, in, uh, New York, having a coffee downstairs, waiting for my friend. This fellow sits beside me and he starts talking on the phone about turtle conservation and bringing in solar panels and doing this. And he got off the phone. I said, I said, what exactly do you do? Like what, you know, what is this about? And then he started explaining to me, well, we're using renewable energy to impact these nonprofits and these uh, small programs. So we, we have a bigger company. We're doing this, that, and the other thing, but we're doing these smaller things as well. And then it kind of like dinged. I'm like, wow, yeah, this is really incredible. You know, we can do, we can help the environment, help wildlife and use the renewable energy model, which is, which is much needed. We can't mm-hmm. continue with this, with this oil and gas model. Like it just, it's not working mm. when we have new, when we have this wonderful new technology, that's much cleaner and a lot less harmful for our atmosphere and for our planet. That kind of moved forward. I ended up bringing in an investor, one of my film investors. I brought them into the company. I became an advisor into the company. So I ended up bringing some funds in for them. I got involved in, they were working with Sanlap India on this India project where they were bringing solar. They were the solar providers for the program. And it was kind of through all that, that I ended up forming the nonprofit with one of my film investors that I was working with. And then I was off to India. I see a lot of the adventurer in your story. Of course, you do have a particular international flair, having spent time working in multiple regions around the world. Uh, And no surprise, New York as a hub can lead you to these types of serendipitous relationships. I really enjoy understanding better the way that the film career you've had, uh, the international experience you've had, and the open-mindedness that you bring to the idea of adventure and travel allows you to follow these serendipitous pathways that ultimately led to you founding your own nonprofit, Econic Earth, and doing meaningful work to sort of elevate the, the status and equity of life in some of the places that you visited. If we fast forward a minute, you started to see the impact that you that, that this project had in Calcutta and made some more connections uh, this time in Kenya, where you have now stood up an organization and are receiving grant funding for a program that you call Watts On. We'll link to the Watts On report that you've provided, but I'd love to hear how the Watts On project in Kenya came about and some of the takeaways that, that you've gleaned now from you know, you've had Econic Earth Foundation around for five years. You've been investing in the lives of these underserved communities in ways that our community and the solar industry find particularly meaningful. What, what are some of the takeaways fundamentally that you've seen from what's on? Maybe take a minute to set the stage for what that project is. It came to be actually because the film Sustainable Future Survivor Girls, the film about the solar power initiative in India, screened at a small festival in Kenya in about 2016, 2016, 2017. 
And through that, I met a number of people working in the NGO world in Kenya, left it at that. The films continued to screen. We ended up receiving another grant. And then I started shopping around for nonprofits, international organizations that I could partner with to bring a solar power initiative. Similar to what we did in India, but something a little more expansive that, that we could grow with. So the Watts On program was developed through a partnership with two organizations in Kenya, one of whom I'd met at the film screening the few years prior. We were building on an initiative that one of the partners had done a number of years prior. They did a small initiative where they they passed out a few solar portable solar lights in one of the schools. The results were that the kids' exam scores went up tremendously. So we thought we could build on that. We could add uh, more of a data collection, more data collection into it. So where we could follow up with the students and monitor them as far as the education impact and branch out to way more schools so we could get more statistics, more impact and, and help these kids on a bigger level. So the What's On Lighting Students' Lives is right now empowering students with portable solar lights. The students we work with, they live off-grid. There's no electricity access at school or at home. They live in uh, menyatas. It's a small hut made of sticks, mud, and I believe some cow dung with a nice tarped roof. And at the moment, kids, they use either kerosene lamps or they study by a burning fire, which is burning inside the menyatas, so it's quite smoky, or they use the moon. They have no electricity at home or at school. They're, they want an education. They want to become doctors, social workers, teachers. The difficulty is, is they are writing the same level of exams called the national exams in year mm-hmm. eight. The kids write them as the kids in Nairobi who have electricity access, computers, lighting, everything else. These, these exams are shipped in by the national government. They write the exams. They're shipped back to Nairobi marked. And that determining score will determine what level of high school they can go to and their further education. So so these kids are up against a mountain, you know, mm. trying to achieve these dreams, studying under moonlight or by a kerosene lamp. And it, it's just, they're really phenomenal individuals for, for everything that they go through in life. And, and they've got tons of family chores, collecting sticks, herding animals. So right now, we, uh, as of last year, we worked with eight schools. We distributed just over 500 solar lights. We do a full training when we distribute them. We do data collection on an app technology. Our apps work offline, so we can bring on volunteers. We, we just have local kids from the community, upload all the information, and then we we do the statistics and data collection of their exam scores at the end of the year. We also, in December, we went into the communities to learn about the impacts within the communities from the portable solar lights, uh, which were really phenomenal. We had some of the elders just so happy and they're saying it's like we have electricity in our village this is amazing you know and i can actually see my wife's face at night (laughs) and um i've never been able to see their expressions you know because everybody's off doing their work in the day and then they come back to darkness for the most part wow 
So yeah, you know, when when we look at the impacts, which are safety security, they're using the lights to scare away hyena and elephant out of their compounds. There's people that come from other villages to steal the goats called raiders. Often they assault people that are in their homes alone. If there's a light outside, they will not do that. And that's all with a portable light, um, which I know is not sustainable. We are now looking at doing a mini microgrid and moving into mini microgrid models that are more sustainable. But I do feel that when communities who have been living off grid have access to even a portable light, they start to understand the impacts of electricity and the impacts of light and how the cost savings of that and the value of that in their life could translate into potentially wanting regular electrical access. Because when you talk to them right now, they say, no, what what do we need to buy electricity for? We don't want this. We live just fine how we are. And that's kind of of a big issue, I think, when trying to take kids or people from off-grid communities and and link them into a grid. Well, something that stands out to me as uh, as I've read the report and, and, you know, you and I have discussed some of the impacts beyond the obvious uh, things that you commented on, the family family dynamics, the improvements of being able to do chores in the evening instead of having to miss school to do chores. With only four months difference between the two groups of kids that got the lights, there's a notable improvement in test scores for children who had light for an additional four months in their community. And I think that is remarkable from a human narrative, from a from the perspective of literally lifting folks out of poverty, the ability to improve test scores improves their ability to continue in an education path as opposed to being sort of relegated to maybe staying in the community as some other type of manual labor worker. So I think that that's a, a truly remarkable impact. I'd love to see if there are ways just as a community that we could help to uh, sort of lean into that cause, the, the anecdotal stories around safety and security also, you know, make me smile, the ability to keep hyenas and elephants away, because of course there's a light, the household savings from not having to buy kerosene and the health advantages and hygiene advantages there are phenomenal. Hey, for my commercial solar warriors out there, do you sometimes feel like prospects are treating you like a dollar per watt commodity? Instead of a race to the bottom, why not add more value to your proposals by including DemandX load flexibility software from Extensible Energy? You can use intelligent AI software to monitor solar production and shift usage patterns of HVAC and other flexible loads. The result is increased savings on energy charges, demand charges, time of use charges, and that makes you and your proposal stand out from the crowd. Who doesn't want that? You can learn all about DemandX and how you can include load flexibility software as part of your proposals at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. And as a bonus, you'll get free load flexibility analysis, sales training, and info on how you can even white label DemandX for your solar company. So go ahead, stand out with DemandX from Extensible Energy. I understand that you've introduced a program called the Watts on Grant. And you mentioned a bit about your mini grids and micro grids becoming self-funding. Can we talk a bit about that? The Watts on Grant is a program we wanted to introduce to the top performing students of each school that we could kind of tie into all the, all the students that receive a solar light, the top 
I had actually had the top girl and boy performance of each school thinking, you know, just in case it's the, the boys had more access or whatever, we want it to be fair. But it turns out in some of the schools, it's actually two girls that are getting the top scores. And I'm thinking now I'm like, gosh, maybe I should just, we should give the grant for the top two performing students, not necessarily the top boy and top girl. But the idea is is to give them a small grant that helps with their high school fees. So if they score a higher score and they're allowed to go to one of the better high schools, because your national exam score will determine what level of high school you can go to. The better schools have better teachers, better access. But there's a cost involved. They have to pay their school fees, which then that comes back to the families to pay. So it, it's kind of an additional motivation that when they receive their solar light, they study, they do well on their exams, then there's an ability to achieve a small grant, which helps continue in, helps them continue into high school and pay those fees. And so you mentioned a little bit earlier when we were talking about documentary films that you have a new film that began last year, 2019, called Light. Give me a bit, uh, a bit more background on Light and how, if folks wanted to see it, I understand that it's going to be coming out in 2021. And then we'll, I'd love to get into sort of the roadmap for Econic Earth Foundation. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to backtrack for one second and talk about the microgrids, mini microgrids. Uh, we've been doing oh, sure. the solar yeah, light yeah. distribution. We've actually, we've got a bunch more solar lights. They're all now sitting in Kenya because the schools are closed with COVID-19. In the interim, while we're kind of assessing what's going on, we're looking at building in our mini microgrids, which was kind of our stage three of the program, but we're building it to be a separate program. We need something that is sustainable. So as we're doing the portable solar lights, we know that it's donor dependent, as a lot of these programs are. So when the donations stop, the program has to stop uh, because funds aren't being recirculated. So we're looking at mini microgrids. The communities are very receptive to having a mini microgrid to be able to set up some small business and small services. So we will be launching five mini microgrids across Kenya, working out that model where we can then multiply it and take it to a, to a larger scale. The idea of doing the mini microgrids is that they'll be self-financing and sustainable. So the money generated through the community will, will be able to pay for the solar repairs, the security to protect the solar and other elements that, that are involved with maintenance. Switching back, when we visited all these schools in northern Kenya, so the area we're working is up near the border of Ethiopia in an area called Marsabit. A lot of these schools actually have solar on them. The, the government laid out an initiative. They brought in solar. As far as I'm aware, the panels worked for maybe a year, if not less, before the attachments, different things started breaking. Pieces of it were stolen. Some of them we saw the Storage batteries were laying on the concrete on the floor. It wasn't built into shelving. Yeah, there's, there's an issue with bringing in solar and then not having the funds to maintain it and the government not doing much to maintain it either. And the schools can't afford to pay for repairs or, or parts. So if there's anybody out there that wants to come to Marsavit and fix all these solar installations, yeah. <laughs> sign up. Yeah. Nicole at EconicEarth.com. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. So, and then um, flipping forward to the documentary film, we've been filming uh, the initiative of the solar light distribution and the impact of that on students' lives. Developing a documentary film called Light, uh, the idea was to to film our solar light distribution and cut a film based on that. But I am looking at the possibility to extend the film 
and cover a little bit more of what we're going through as we're moving into the mini microgrids to kind of touch on some of the bigger aspects as far as doing these NGO programs and building in models that allow them to be sustainable and, and take them forward into the future. So, so ideally we will, we will launch it in 2021. We, it may end up being near the end of the year once we get through editing on that. If we have a bigger solar company that, that comes on to work with us, we would be more than happy to affiliate their company and, and tie in some branding uh, when we do launch the film through the festival. Indeed. Well, we have a number of bigger solar companies participating as Suncast community members and listeners. So here's the call out to you all to see how you can help. Yeah, to see <laughs> yeah. how you can help Nicole. Nicole, you have uh, quite an inspiring mission and I'm really intrigued at how you continually not only leverage and expand your network, but leverage as well the historical context of your acting career, your access to those tools and that, that knowledge base. You mentioned that there are a few things that perhaps could be structured better. I know one of the things is, as you mentioned with the mini grids, you're looking at how to bring investors on and how to pair investors and donors with these projects, but also how to innovate around the business model. What other elements of the business model for you have been challenging or you hope to improve upon anything from a hardware perspective or how, how else can our community help to support what you're working on? It seems to me, you know, talking with bigger companies and different NGOs that they all want, they're looking for big multi-million dollar projects that can be multiplied over tens of thousands of people, uh, which we are hoping to do one day. But I think it's really important to move into communities and to gain that community trust and to work with them and to build on a model that perhaps takes a little bit longer, a few more years, but but you work your, your way into a community where they also become part of that program rather than kind of jumping in there, doing this big setup and taking off and leaving it you know, for that, for everybody to run where the people really feel part of it and feel involved with it. So we are moving into mini microgrids. We hope to expand on that. I'm excited to see how the sustainable model works. There's an issue with people going back to what they're comfortable with. So they get a solar installation in, it works for a while, then perhaps it breaks down and they go back to the old model of coal kerosene, gas, whatever is easy, quicker, easier, but a lot dirtier. I think it's important to build in the infrastructure, to build in the support. We need communities in more of the developing regions to empower themselves with renewable energy. If they empower themselves with coal, oil, all the models that we use to build our societies in the Western world, the planet will be doomed. <laughs> our temperature will rise. The ocean will rise, ecosystems will break down, and it won't serve anybody. So we need to empower these people. And, and it's a benefit to the entire world by empowering developing communities with solar. Working with smaller communities and students, we are investing in students' lives with the hope that one day they grow up and can help their own communities and, and do good with, with the tools that they've achieved. And I think it's important that right now it's solar. Right now, that's kind of the tool we're using. But in another 
15, 20 years, it could be something else. So, so what are the fundamental values in what we're doing? Why are we doing this? Have you looked at other regions beyond India and Africa, namely where we have a lot of listeners and I'll say friends in the industry beyond uh, the United States borders is in Latin America. Is that a region that you've considered? Yes. Yes. Some people have um, talked to me about coming into Brazil mm -hmm. to do some work. When we started the What's On Lighting Students Lives, right away, we started getting people asking us, can you come here? Can you do this here? And and then we started spreading ourselves really quickly. And we realized that by doing that, we were taking a lot of energy away from building this really solid framework and model in Kenya. So I made a decision, an executive decision to say, okay, now we're going to put on hold these international projects. We're going to really set up something that works here, and then we'll be able to multiply it. So I would love to work in Latin America. I, I worked in Mexico for a year, in Cabo San Lucas, and got a lot of friends, Ecuador, South America, Caribbean. And that would be really wonderful, wonderful to do. So, and I, you know, I really like the model of working with portable solar lights, portable solar lights as a stepping stone, which gets people off the kerosene, off the wood burning, which impacts their health. They start to see how electricity can be a benefit in their life and then slowly moving into microgrids and then, you know, what, whatever's going to come next. But but I think it's a really nice segue. And I was actually in, in Togo last year. I just got my little Facebook pop-up reminder with my photos. I went to the economic forum and learned that rural area in Togo, only 8% of the country, this tiny little country is electrified. Only 8%. The majority of electricity is just in the city centers. Wow. And people are still using kerosene, wood, you know, the same scenario as we're working with in Kenya. And it's a common issue. We, why should we pay for electricity? We have these things. We can go to the forest and cut down wood and make a fire. Like, why, why do I have to pay these bills? And I was saying to the people, like, you know, if you give them portable solar lights to start with, and people can start to see the impact of electricity and then build up from there, it's not a bad model because you, you start to understand the cost savings. You start to understand the health benefits and start to get a sensitization of what light and electricity in that form can do. Well, there are, you know, there are a lot of nonprofits uh, focused on and also poor profit companies focused on energy equity, not only here in Mexico, but uh, throughout Central America and certainly in Brazil uh, and other locations in South America. I'll be sure to connect you with some close friends here in the Suncast community. Namely, I'm thinking of Mike Silvestrini at Energia, who, uh, as you and I mentioned, uh, has his own foundation in Africa uh, as he was a Peace Corps volunteer there. Carlos Abad comes to mind, who has a nonprofit called We Illum. Another uh, former Suncast guest, Juan Fermin Rodriguez, runs Kingo. Perhaps you've heard of them. They're probably the largest provider of off-grid and mini-grid systems in Guatemala and Central America, pretty well-funded company. So I think there are a lot of partnerships, back to your partnership model, that would fit really well within not only the Suncast community, but the Latin America community. And all of those folks are looking at the same community. So it'd be interesting to see, uh, make a call here on Suncast for those and others in our in, in our community, in our industry, to, to raise their hand if they're interested in supporting Nicole and the mission. Look at all those hands going up. I see That's it. That's amazing. Mike, Carlos, <laughs> I can't wait to meet indeed. you. <laughs> well, the, the gauntlet is laid. And you know, what, what I would offer to our community to really think about is one of the things we've been terribleist at is storytelling. We are 
a technology-based industry who can get really technical and wonky about solving needs with technical solutions. But what you know, companies like Energia and Wealum and Kingo, the reason I bring them up is because they're very good storytellers. They're very emotive about how they're solving problems. With the work that you're doing at Iconic Earth, it reminds us there's a need for us to interface with the Nicole Watsons and Leonardo DiCaprio's. You all bring those storytelling and film skills to the mission that we have in this industry. It's inspiring to learn more about how these businesses are creating real, true impact that in many ways is selfless. It is just an extension of the gift and the blessing that you've had as a way to elevate the energy equity and the life equity that others can have and should have and deserve to have in the world. Nicole, it's really an honor to have had a chance to sit down and have this discussion with you. I look forward to how our community interacts and reaches out to you. Again, as I mentioned, Nicole Watson is the founder and executive director of Econic Earth Foundation. And uh, this has been a really interesting conversation about how one person can impact the lives of many others, leveraging the clean energy technology that we all are proliferating in the world. Thank you for joining us on Suncast. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Nico, for having me. And I wanted to comment on one other thing. Working in the film industry, I have been trying to get a number of TV shows off the ground that feature the impact of solar energy because I can see what we did in India, what we're working on in Kenya, and the unexpected impacts from bringing solar power and renewable energy into the lives of, of different people around the world. So I had a few shows in development. I've been trying to sell those shows and get different networks to air them. So yes, we are working on something with that. I think one of the biggest things is just funding, you know, funding for the production of these TV shows, which it would be nice to work with a big company and we can work with that. But we've got elephant conservation in Ethiopia. There's a there's a group in France that's retiring elephants from the oh, circus wow. that's looking for solar for their big facility. You're gonna have um, you're gonna have a geek fest with Mike Silvestrini when you guys end up connecting. That's gonna be fun. And I want to do a TV show about it. I think these stories are phenomenal. I mean, we could go all over the world, feature this incredible work done by solar engineers and the technology and how it's impacting people's lives. So that will happen. Well, as I always say, when and as these stories unfold, we'll certainly chronicle them here on Suncast. Nicole, it's just a real honor to have uh, have been uh, introduced and met you. I thank you to Gary at Sets for connecting us uh, late last year. And I do look forward to the serendipitous ways that our communities interact and our networks engage with one another. Part of having this platform as well as yours is to spark creativity, to spark these stories, and to be a catalyst for the change that we want to see in the world. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And thank you all for tuning in with us here today. All right. All right. Solar Warrior, what an inspiring story. I hope that you are more prepared than ever to take on the energy transition with a renewed sense of strength and insight. And I can assure you, we'll be hearing a lot more from Nicole. Did that episode resonate with you? You know, we'd be really honored to hear your thoughts. And if you wouldn't mind, shoot us a message on LinkedIn or Twitter with your takeaways. I almost always post an episode summary over on LinkedIn. So maybe that's even how you found out about this or another episode. I hope that we can keep the conversation going there. 
If you're eager to keep learning, then as always, you, my fellow Philomath, can find these resources and highlights from this discussion and every other discussion, along with social media links, book recommendations, and so much more at mysuncast.com. I'd love to hear your feedback about how we can improve the website and the show and everything else. So while you're there, would you take a moment and give us your feedback in the listener survey? It really does make a huge difference. Every single question gets read by yours truly, and we integrate our understanding of how to propel this show forward based on how you give us feedback right in that survey. You can go to that survey at mysuncast.com forward slash survey. And finally, if you are new to the industry or the show or looking at how you can get involved, I'd highly encourage you to join me and several hundred of my friends over on Facebook in the Energy Guild. It's easy to just search and find the Energy Guild. It's a network of hundreds of clean energy professionals, veterans and newbies, maybe as you are. You can get access to exclusive live trainings, mentorship, and guild-only guides. We're dropping stuff into the group every week, so I'd encourage you to jump over and check that out. You can get our latest guide, if you do, all about the tools I use to maximize my output with as little input as possible. Remember, you are what you listen to, Solar Warrior. You owe it to yourself. Thanks again for showing up. It's half the battle. <laughs>